Help us all to be prayer warriors. Uh, oh God, uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, in the book of Romans, chapter 9. Can you believe it? We've made it to chapter 9. <laughs> Romans, chapter 9. We're going to see this morning uh, uh, this truth of Paul's passion for souls and something else as well. Paul's passion for souls. And we read that in these first three verses, and I'll read that to begin, so I won't forget to do it later on. Romans 9, beginning in verse 1 through verse 3. He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What a passion this man had uh, for his own kinsmen, that is, his fellow uh, Jews, uh, these uh, Israelites, if you will, uh, that he loved so much because he himself was, was one of them. And we will see this morning what, what Paul went through and still had this passion. It's amazing. What amazing love uh, Paul had. We need to have that same love. We need to have that same passion. And I, that's my prayer this morning, uh, that we all might have a passion for souls. Because as I have, you know, there, there's this, this movement today about, uh, on TV especially, and, and I don't watch it, it just kind of like leaves me cold, the, the Walking Dead, or zombies, you know, that's the latest thing that everybody's in a rage over. Why, I don't understand. But that's really what lost people are. They're the Walking Dead. Do you realize that? They're walking around dead in their trespasses and sins. And we have the answer that they need. We have Christ. It's interesting. Also, we see that Paul, even though he believes in the sovereignty of God, as we've already studied in chapter 8, he had a passion for souls. It's interesting, between chapters 8 and and 9, chapter 8 ends on such a lofty, high note. It's like a surfer, you know, he's finally caught the perfect wave. (laughs) I don't know if you ever surfed, I never saw much in it, but but some people really enjoyed it. And, And you get on this wave, and I understand it's just a real great high when you finally got this wave and, you, and it, you're riding it in and you're filled with this joy and, and uh, excitement. And that's what we find at the end of, of Romans 8. Paul is just, whoa, he says, the love of God and, and nothing will separate us from the love of God. And he goes on and on with this, this uh, God is for us. He loves us. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, he says. He who gives us freely all things, he says. No one can bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies, he says. There is no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Whoa. I mean, he just gets caught up in this wonder of it all. And now we see he hits the shore. Boom. Crashes, you might say. But yet, that's one way of looking at it, but I don't see it that way. He is still on the wave. Because personally to him, nothing will separate him from the, from the love of God. But, I mean, it almost sounds like another book has started here. But what it is, is now he wants this for his fellow uh, uh, Jews. For those who do not know Christ. They are lost. And his heart is breaking for them. He is grieved over the fact that they have rejected the Messiah. Because to Paul, it was, it, was, uh, it was truth. And we'll see that in just a minute as we get to these verses. And we saw that, that uh, Paul said, you know, sovereignty brings comfort. And uh, uh, sovereignty is not to be used in a, as an excuse to sin. You know, like, I'm, I'm okay, I'm chosen by God, so sin doesn't really matter. But it does matter because of the purpose of God, as we saw is that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. That's found in verse 29. But we find that sovereignty is uh, uh, a doctrine of hope. A doctrine of hope because God does answer our prayers. God does save people. God does open hearts. And God has the power to overcome the worst sinner in the world. He has the power to save to the guttermost. You've always said he saves to the uttermost, but I heard a preacher at Bob Jones say, no, he saves to the guttermost. He saves those people who are in the gutter. And there's no one that is beyond his reach. And we need to remember that as we witness that no one, no one, is too wicked that they cannot be saved. Because he has the power, the power to overcome the depravity of man's heart. And what are we to do? We're to sow, we're to water, and trust and know that he will give the increase. You see, that's the truth. God is working. But he uses us. Is he using us? I don't care what position you hold. Does the position that you hold excite you about witnessing? You know? Because I've seen uh, uh, people on both sides of this this, this sovereignty uh, uh, issue who are cold and indifferent. So it doesn't really matter what side you're on. But our you indifferent to the souls of lost people? That's the question here. So Paul starts off chapter 9 with such heaviness in verse 2. He says, I have, what does he say? I have great sorrow and unceasing grief, he says, in my heart. He goes from this height of, of joy to the depth of sorrow over those who are lost. Not that he's lost his joy, not that he has lost his his understanding of the love of Christ for him, but 
you know, it's, it's overwhelmed Paul, this love of Christ, that he wants other people to know about it. Is that true in your life? Have you been so overwhelmed with the love of Christ that has changed you and saved you? I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell somebody. There's a song, I ought to play it. Maybe I will next week by, by uh, who is he? I can't think of it. Don Francisco. Don Francisco. It's a moving song. Because, and, he, and he, he preaches out of the Ballards in the, in the scripture, and this man whose child was healed, remember, he says, Jesus says, don't go telling anybody about what, what's happened here today. But the man says, I've got to tell somebody. You know, you can't keep me quiet. Has the love of Christ done that to us? So much of the time in my life, I have to admit, I, I'm cold and indifferent. And I'm ashamed to say that, but it's, it's true. But Paul is concerned, you know, if God has chosen them, that is the Jews as a nation, why don't they believe? Why don't they believe? Have they been separated as a nation from the love of God? He's asking these questions, and we'll see that in chapter 9. What about the promises of God to the Jews, to the Jewish people? He's really concerned about them. In chapters 9 through 11, we will see God dealing with Israel, the past, the present, the future. And he's going to show us, though, that Israel is not rejected totally, nor is Israel rejected finally. God's promises to Israel are still true. God's power is still in control of everything. His power is still in control of everything. And he has a divine purpose that he is working out in history. And never let us forget that. Even though things seem uh, impossibly impossible, God is in control. God is in control. We have to believe that. That he is working. That he is working. And Paul here has a passion for Israel. But I want to deal with something before I get into these three verses. And that is, how do you bring together the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man? Because this is really the struggle and, and I'm not saying I have it all figured out because I don't. How do, we, how do we come to grips with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man? How do these come together? Some would even say uh, this, this sovereignty of God, if they believe that, would make them cold and take away their zeal or incentive to witness. But I actually say, no, it gives us incentive to witness. Why is that? Because God is in the saving business. You see, there's a great difference in that. No, it gives us an incentive to witness. Why? Because we have been told in his word that there will be a multitude that no man can number. Not possibly, but a multitude, a real number that's going to be so great you can't imagine it. And guess what? He uses us to give out his word. You see, that's positive. 
So you can take sovereignty and just, you know, just dwell on that all the time. And, and well, there's no reason, there's no reason to, to witness. There's no reason to do anything because, you know, well, God, he's in the control. And, no, that's, that's, that's a perversion of the truth. See, that's a perversion of what God's word really says. We need to bow to the Holy Scriptures. We need to come to the Scriptures, to the Word of God to be taught, not to force our opinions upon it. We saw that happen to those that, that uh, when evolution came along, didn't we? And, and some of the great men of God bowed to that and said, oh, we've got to change God's Word or switch it around some way so we can make room for evolution. When evolution was false and they should have stood up and said, in six days God created the heaven and the earth. But they didn't. But that's what God's word said, you know. And, uh, and so we, we've, we, uh, uh, we're all guilty of this. I've been guilty of this in my life at one time or another. And I, and I still am in, in areas. But uh, You know, in the spiritual realm, people say, well, I don't really care what you tell me as long as it matches my opinion. You know, you just kind of go, okay, well, what? <laughs> because there is a, there's a lot of medicine in, in God's word that's hard to swallow. Yeah. It doesn't taste very good. It goes down hard. But some of the worst taste in medicine, you'll find out, will have the greatest cure. And this is that God works in you. You know, God's working in me, but he's working in you. And this is, a, this is something that, that's going on in you. I can't change you. The only one I can change is, I can't even change myself. God is changing us. He is working in us, both to willing to do of his good pleasure. Praise God for that. But we need to bow to the Holy Scriptures. And Lord, say, Lord, teach me what it's saying and help me to to not question you, but simply to accept what your word says. I mean, if we had to figure out the Trinity to believe it, would you believe the Trinity? I couldn't. I mean, just that one thing is just like way above me. But that's what the Bible teaches. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet there's still some that reject that. That said, oh no, it's just one God, Jehovah. And so forth. So you see what I'm saying there? There, there is this going on today. Well, we need to accept the Word of God because it's true in our hearts. It's true because God is teaching us that. And so, sovereignty does not destroy the responsibility of the second causes. We have to see that. Some would say, well, if sovereignty is true, then I don't need to pray. I don't need to preach. I don't need to witness. But here is Paul, after teaching very strongly on the sovereignty of God, has a passion, a burning passion for the lost. You see what I'm saying? So don't accuse people. Don't call them the frozen chosen. That's a terrible thing to say. It really is. Because you've had people like Charles Spurgeon, 
David Brainerd, who was a missionary to the Indians, and uh, on and on and on, these great men of God and, and women who had a passion for the lost. I'll quote you that in just a minute, what David Brainerd said. And so, no. Be careful. Be careful how we, what we say. Be careful of what we say on both sides of the issue. But what does Paul do? He takes responsibility. Paul takes responsibility. What did he say? Woe to me if I preach not the gospel. That's responsibility. Yeah, God is sovereign, but woe to me if I don't tell the truth, if I don't preach the gospel, he said. He believed in in, uh, responsibility. And that's in 1 Corinthians uh, 9 and verse 16. Woe to me. And so the doctrine of the sovereignty of God does not destroy the responsibility of man. It just doesn't. Because we are responsible. And Paul takes it very seriously. He takes it very seriously. In Acts 20, remember, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. In other words, everything. He saw his responsibility and he took it seriously to teach the whole counsel of God. Everything, and, and, and so what he's doing is he's delving into deep water here. He's, he's t- telling us things that are hard to swallow, hard to understand. But he says, I'm innocent from the, the blood of all men. And so I stand up here before you and I'm teaching things that, that uh, kind of, it's like petting a cat the wrong way, you know. You, you just, <laughs> it rubs you the wrong way. Have you ever done that, you know? And, and, and so there are things that, that, uh, that we struggle with, that we're battling with, that we're discussing, that we're talking about. But we can still love one another where all that's going on. Amen. You know, I, I just, we used to do that at school. We'd get in pitch battles, you know. And, and, uh, but it was always in love. We'd end up hugging our necks with our differences. And that's what we can do in the church as well. Now, I'm not talking about important things like uh, the salvation by grace alone through faith alone. I'm not talking about the deity of Christ. But I'm talking about where we can differ, the second coming of Christ. And whether it's pre-trib, uh, post-trib, amil, uh, post-mil, you know, you just get lost in all that. But we can differ on that and still love one another. And yet I've known churches to break up over that. It's sad. So... Uh, uh, we, need, we need to be careful of perversion uh, of, of God's Word, going uh, beyond the Bible, going beyond what, is, what is the Bible is saying. For instance, God is sovereign, somebody might say. But a perversion of that, God is sovereign, so our prayers won't do any good. That's perversion. We don't need to send missionaries For God will save them anyway. See, that's perverted. I don't have to witness because because God saves people. That's a perversion. But God has ordained the means to the end as well as the end itself. We always have. He's not only ordained the end, but the means to get to that end. And what is that? The foolishness of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel. The power of God to save men's souls. By faith and trust in Christ alone. 
And we're responsible as second causes to give that out. And we do that through the means. What are the means? Prayer, preaching, witnessing, and we let God do His part. We do our part and leave the rest to God. That's hard to do, isn't it? Telling God what He should do, who He should save. That person doesn't deserve it. God, why would you save such a wicked person? And over here is this nice, wonderful, oh, they just deserve to be saved. Oh, yeah? That's not what I learned from God's Word. No, there is none. None of us deserve it. We all deserve His wrath. You see, we deserve His wrath. But we are responsible. We are, uh, He holds us responsible. Something that, I, that God used in my life to, to fit together this, and, and maybe this will be helpful to you, and, 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 and maybe not, but I hope it will be helpful for you. Uh, remember, again, sovereignty is given for our comfort. And so we need to rest in that and leave that in the hands of God and not worry. And uh, uh, to still rejoice in our salvation. Ride the wave. Be excited about our salvation. And yet we find also that we are responsible. Somebody said this, and I think responsibility is in Scripture so we as Christians will know what to do. Responsibility is in Scripture, so we as Christians will know what to do. One of those being to witness. And if you confuse the two, if you try to mix them up or put them together, you're going to have problems. (laughs) I do anyway. I can't put the two together. I've tried in in my mind and tried to come up with some good. But really, sovereignty is seen from God's viewpoint. Responsibility from man's viewpoint is another way. And don't confuse the two. Let me just give an example of this. I think this is helpful. It is to me. In in sovereignty, we all believe, and I hope you do, that God will keep you alive as long as He wants you alive. Now, would you say that's true? I hope you don't think that... uh, that he doesn't keep you and that he knows you and he has your days and your hairs of your head are all numbered. These are truths that we can take comfort in. We take comfort in knowing. But on the responsibility side of that, I don't drive on the left-hand side of the road. Right? That's my responsibility. But I know that I will not be taken until he wants me. But I am responsible as how I live my life before Him. I'm to take care of myself. Why? Why? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, that you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body. You see, that's our responsibility. So... Okay, somebody says, you know what? God is not going to take me till he wants me. And so, you know, I love Twinkies. 
and I love Coca-Cola. I'm going to drink and eat that every meal for the rest of my life because God ain't going to take me until he's ready for me. See, that's not being responsible. That's a perversion of the comfort that we have in the sovereignty of God is that we can just eat what we want to. It doesn't really matter. Now, you can go to the other extreme, you know, to, to where, you know, it's just, oh, 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 and you just take vitamins, you just, and it becomes an obsession. See, there's extremes on both of these ends that we have to be careful of. Yeah, God's sovereign, but we are responsible. You know, if you're going to jump out of a plane... I would, unless it's on the ground, but if, you, if you're going to go skydiving, I would, I would suggest taking a parachute. That's your being responsible. As Dad said, you can be a skydiver, but if you want to do it again, you better wear a parachute. <laughs> that's pretty good. I mean, that's... I think I quoted him fairly close. To, but... Uh, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you get you know, you get sick, what do you do? You go to a doctor. Right? I mean, God's given us doctors. Praise God for medicine. Unless you watch the ads on TV, now that'll scare you to death. <laughs> so I'm not sure what to do anymore. You know, you to eat eggs or not eat eggs. And on and on it goes, but we're to be responsible. What about politics? Boy, here's a big one. Sovereignty of God. If you read Romans 13, you will see the powers that be are ordained of God. There it is, Romans. We'll get to that eventually. God willing, he doesn't come back, but I hope he comes back and we never get to that. But but anyway, no. In Romans 13, he says, the powers that be were ordained by God. He put them there. You're right. I don't have to vote. No. So you just you just perverted the sovereignty of God by saying, well, I'm not responsible then. I don't have to go out and vote. No, it may come down where you have to vote for the lesser of the two evils. And we've had to do that. I've had to do that. But it's our responsibility. God-given right to go vote because our country's in desperate, desperate need. But you say, well, you know, all that's in God's hands and, and uh, I'm just going to snooze. And That's a perversion because we have responsibility before God. Read it in Daniel chapter 4. I won't go there, but uh, uh, it says the same thing. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar in 417 is another verse. You know, God allows certain wicked people to be in office. And I go, why, Lord? Why? How did that happen, Lord? Are you sure you're up there, Lord? How could such a wicked person become president? And I'm not mentioning any names. I'm just, I mean. No, we have to trust God who sets up authority. He's ordained that. But we are responsible. We are responsible.
Don't take sovereignty, which is given for your comfort, and use it as an excuse to not be responsible. What about salvation? God ordained salvation. I have no doubt about that from my studies. As you know, I struggled with that for years, but I believe he does. He ordained salvation. I believe that's true. And that's God's business. He's God, I'm not. He's a lot more patient, a lot more gracious, a lot more loving than I would have ever been. And that's given to me for comfort when I witness because I know he is going to save souls. What is my responsibility? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's my responsibility. And we see that all through scriptures. All through scriptures. Somebody says, for a bird to fly, and I love this, for a bird to fly, I mentioned this before, there's some here that weren't here, but for a bird to fly, you have to have two wings. You know, one wing, sovereignty, you know, what is that? You know, that bird's just going to... And if you have nothing but responsibility, no sovereignty, you know, you just... But when you have sovereignty and responsibility together, the bird flies. And that's what God does. He is the first cause, but the second cause is us. Through the preaching, the praying, through His Word that is powerful, that changes us, that, that, that uh, works in us by his mighty power. And we see that all through scriptures. For instance, just give you one example. And start reading the scriptures that way, looking for sovereignty, and along with it you'll see responsibility too, also. One is not thrown out because of the other. And we're all guilty of, of the, pen, I call it the pendulum swing. Over here is sovereignty and over here is responsibility, and that pendulum will swing. And, but they're both there or, or there. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in uh, my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. doesn't say work for, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is that? That's responsibility, right? That's your responsibility, to work out your salvation. But what is sovereignty? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's sovereignty. See, we see responsibility, work it out. Then we see God is the one who is doing it, sovereignty. And then what comes next? Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Responsibility. Isn't that incredible? See, two wings of a bird, you got to have them. And you don't throw out one and keep the other or vice versa. They're both there. They're both there. They're, and uh, uh, it's just amazing. God is at work. Now let me come. That was the introduction. Not really. But we come to Paul's passion. His affirmation, and this won't take long because I've been through the majority of what I wanted to say, but he said, verse 1, he talks about his affirmation. He is affirming what he is saying is truth. Do you see that? This is, I lie not, he says, without hypocrisy, with great sincerity, he says. 
He says, you better listen because what I'm telling you is truth. And I say that to you this morning. What I'm telling you is truth. This is truth that Christ is the only way. The truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through Him. You see, that's truth. It's a truth that will set you free. But He has a passion. He affirms. He says, He says, first of all, in Christ. He says, as we belong to Christ, what He is affirming was as true as if Christ had said it Himself. He's not just throwing out ideas, His opinions, what He thinks might be right. You know, maybe this is a possibility, perhaps. No, I am telling you, I am not lying. What I am telling you is truth, He says. My conscience bearing me witness. His love for the Jewish nation was so sincere, He appeals to His conscience. In the Holy Spirit, He says, guided by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see His burden in verse 2. Notice His burden, His sorrow and His grief. What was his grief? What was his sorrow? Israel's unbelief. It bothered Paul all the time. It was an unceasing pain, a grief, a heartache. Have you ever had a heartache where your heart actually hurt over something that's happened to a loved one or to yourself? Your heart, and that's what Paul is, says, my heart aches. Do we have a heartache for the lost? Ask yourself that. I don't care what position you hold about anything, but do you have a heartache? Do you have a passion for the lost? Realizing that God uses second causes to bring about His end, and that's us. Again, through His Word, as it's preached, and as we witness to people, He uses us. So, he's burdened here. He's burdened. I believe if we had this sorrow, we would witness more. If we had this sorrow, this grief, we would pray more. Think about that in your own life. It's so convicting to me, I cannot hardly preach it. In verse 3, we see his, his declaration, his marvelous decura- declaration. He says, I could wish. He doesn't say, I do wish, but he says, I could wish. If it were possible, if it were allowable, uh, if it were proper. He says, I would be accursed, I would be damned, I would be separated from Christ that my kinsmen could know him. Let that sink in, brethren. Do you have that love for the American people? These were people that hated Paul. These are not people that loved him. You have to understand, they were out to kill him. Acts 25, 24, Festus said, 
King Agrippa, you and all gentlemen here present with us, you see this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me, both at Jerusalem and in here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. That is the people that Paul has a passion for, that he would give his very life for if it were possible. Do you have that same love for people who don't know Christ? And you have to answer that in your own heart. David Brainerd, the missionary to the Indians, who used to travel through snow and cross rivers and went through many, many hardships, said this, I dream of lost souls. I care not what suffering I undergo as long as I see souls saved. Oh. What would you do if you saw a child standing in an ant bed and ants were crawling up that child's leg? Would you say, you know what? Look at that child over there. It's got ants on him. and You know what? They might be in trouble. You know, they might actually get bit. You know, it's a real, you know, we need to form a committee here and discuss this and see what ought to be done. No, you wouldn't do that. You would rush right in and pick the child up and pull its shoes off if it had shoes on it and get the ants off of them. Because that would just be the humane, wonderful, loving thing to do. Do you see souls that are lost, that are heading for a hell where there is fire and brimstone Forever and ever and ever. And do you care about that? Do you care about them? Do you even have any desire to see them saved at all? I have to say most of the time I don't. And I'm your pastor. We need a moving of the Holy Spirit, brethren. We need a passion for souls. So remarkable. Not their hatred for Paul but his love and compassion for them. 
do we have that same compassion and love for Al-Qaeda, for Muslims who want to kill us, Let it sink in. Let's pray. Father, I confess to you that I don't have a passion like Paul. Lord, I pray, God, that you would work in us such passion. God, that we would see your love for us in such a way that we would be moved, that we would see men, women, and children headed for hell without you, and that we would have compassion on them. God, do this by the working of your Spirit in us. Move us, O Lord. Give us boldness Give us boldness as the first century church had. Boldness to proclaim the truth that Jesus saves. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.